Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. Paul told Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul clearly prioritized training other men to be equipped for ministry in order to establish and to shepherd healthy churches. Most church planters and pastors understand the importance of 2 Timothy 2 ministry, but not all are clear on how to do it. When you throw in the challenges of training others on limited resources or in hard places or in the face of other unique contextual issues, then many how-to questions arise. With me on the podcast today to talk about training and equipping church planters is Philip Moore. Philip serves as the Acts 29 Network Director of Europe, as well as the Vice President of Training. He and his wife, Rachel, live in France, and they have five children. Philip, welcome to the podcast. Great to be back on. Thanks, Tony. Yes, sir. So I don't know how Philip Moore and I can limit a conversation to 30 minutes, um, but uh, we're going to try to do it today, especially on this subject, because we love to talk about and to do uh, training. Philip, as I indicated on the on the brief bio there, uh, is in this new role in Acts 29 as vice president for training. And recently we had a wonderful meeting uh, in Paris uh, at his uh, church building with uh, individuals from around the world. Uh, we had guys right from Dubai, Australia, um, um, all over uh, from parts of the states, and uh, just talking about how to train and equip church planters and the various ways in which we hope to uh, be training guys in Acts 29. So very excited to talk about this subject with you, my friend. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, Colombia as well. You, you forgot to mention Colombia. Yeah, Colombia. Yeah, we cannot yeah. forget our Colombian friends. Yes. No, that was amazing. Um, it really was amazing. Uh, Philip and I uh, have been able to do some teaching together in Ukraine. Uh, we were together in uh, Belgrade, and but that was the first time we were actually uh, in your your ministry location together in Paris. So I just told Kimberly a couple of days ago, I think we should go to Paris every December. Um, whether or not there's a meeting, uh, I, I think we're just going to plan on doing that, Philip, every December. Hey, well, you're very welcome, uh, as always. <laughs> Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. You've been on the podcast before, but uh, briefly, just how, how you came to faith uh, and, and your journey into church planting. So I was born in a Christian family. Mom and dad both Christian. My bigger brother was a, a Christian. My grandparents were Christian. So it was really a generational thing where the faith was passed down. Uh, and of course, that's another way of training as we think about it uh, in terms of families. Uh, the ways in which families train is very similar to the ways in which churches train. Uh, and so the faith was passed down to me by my parents. Um, and they trained me and brought me up in, in the ways of God. And so I came to faith uh, really quite early on and was baptized as a teenager uh, and then had quite a linear uh, path through life in terms of growth as a Christian. No major uh, periods of rebellion, um, but this uh, grace upon grace of discovering more about what God was about and how we could serve him in his world and pursue holiness and pursue uh, mission. And so just very blessed from that point of view. Uh, and then in terms of ministry, uh, when I was uh, in a really good church at university, the guy who was leading that church, Vaughan Roberts, and some of you will know him, 
uh, he took a real interest in me and really set me on a path towards ministry. Uh, he was the guy who who made me think that I could perhaps have a role in God's church. He read the Bible with me one to one. He showed me what it looked like to uh, minister God's word faithfully. He's an excellent expositor of God's word. Uh, he showed me what, it like, what it's like to lead a team of people on mission. Um, in fact, I think I learned more in that one year with him uh, than I ever learned at Bible College, which is a very interesting uh, point to take home as we think about training. And so uh, after that, I went into secular employment. I was a French teacher for nine years. And then after that nine year period, uh, where I hope I matured as a man as an, and as a person, as a husband, as a father. I then at age uh, 33 moved to France and started this adventure here. Mm. So the listeners will pick up on that beautiful Irish accent, which That's right. I uh, covet, but you also <laughs> speak uh, fluent French as well. Um, That's you right. are an educated man. Um, mm. Vaughn Roberts, when I, when I hear, when I think about Vaughn, you and Vaughn Roberts, I think about when we were on a bus um, uh, in Berlin going from the airport to the hotel where Vaughn was going to be our speaker. That's and right. I had the privilege of sitting in the row behind you and Vaughn, and we just started talking about uh, what we were preaching on, and we started talking about the Psalms in particular. Yeah. And you had just preached on Psalm 25 on the soul lifted up to God. That's right. Uh, you remember that conversation? I do. And yeah. um, I, I, I just, that was so cool. Um, and that was before I even knew you and Vaughn had that kind of uh, uh, mentoring relationship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so... Um, you know, and, and it also, um, uh, it, it makes me, uh, well, one, appreciate just that investment. That's what we're talking about on this podcast. But That's right. uh, I can also see uh, the similarities, having uh, watched uh, Vaughn expound the text so well mm. Uh, mm. And, and knowing what a gifted expositor you are also. Um, it is so important to, to uh, learn preaching by listening to and being under good preaching, right? That, that's right. And and it was really key for me to have that relationship, both in terms of the example that he was, but also in the way that he poured into my life. Um, and that's something we're going to be talking yeah. about, I think, all the way through this conversation. It's it's not abstract. It's not theoretical. Yeah, you're right. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, maybe from that point on uh, your trajectory in, in training uh, pastors and planters. Uh, how, how, how did you first get involved with that and, and to leading you up to where you are now? Yeah, good question. So, I came to France as a pastor, not essentially as a planter. And the church called me, and the church that had called me had been a church plant quite recently in the in the previous twenty five years, and actually had never forgotten that it was a church plant, and had never forgotten that it was planted by somebody. I think that's a key thing for all churches to remember that they were once church plants, and then that's the way in which they continue the path of church planting by remembering that in fact that's where they used to be. I think that the same principle is true for leaders and for disciples. Um, if we remember that we weren't always a disciple but became a disciple by God's grace, then we'll be making other disciples as we reach out in evangelism and mission. And if we remember that we weren't always a leader in God's church but that we became a leader in God's church by God's grace through the investment of other leaders, then in a similar way we'll keep on wanting to train more leaders. But at any rate, the church that I arrived in uh, was a church that had not forgotten that it was a church plant and was keen to keep on church planting. And one of the church plants that we tried to do was a church plant that I was involved with, and actually it failed. And so we were facing a, a situation where the person we'd asked to lead the church plant turned out not to be uh, fully equipped to do that. Uh, that wasn't his fault. That was our fault. We asked him to do something that he wasn't actually equipped to do. 
And so we were sitting thinking, how can we do this better? And so that was when I got in touch with Acts 29 and asked them to help us think through assessing and training and coaching and supporting church plants and church planters. Uh, through that, they asked me if I would not be interested in doing the church planting assessment. I did that and then started to plant the church. And that was my first step in church planting. And then because of that experience and because I was so convinced about the worthwhile nature of what Acts 29 was doing, um, I began to want to do that through the association that I was working with and through the other evangelical groups that I was involved with in France. France is very small in terms of evangelical population. It's less than 1%, but it's actually quite strong in evangelical collaboration. And so the things that we were doing in and around Lanyi attracted some attention and people began to ask me to train other church planters uh, in a way that was totally uh, surprising to me and unexpected. And so we started training church planters and we did two cohorts of two years of training a small group of church planters to plant or, or to start thinking differently about the plants that they were going to be involved with. Um, and those were far from perfect, but they were also great experiences. And so we began to use the things that we were learning um, from everywhere, but notably from Acts 29, to train uh, church planters and sending out church planters. And by God's grace, those churches are still in existence and uh, prospering. Now, Philip, I know you, that you love uh, 2 Timothy 2, or I think, as you say, 2 Timothy 2. Um, what, what strikes you most about this passage? The first thing is the verse, first verse, so 2 Timothy 2.1, uh, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, that is absolutely key because what, what we often do is we jump to 2.2 and we get going. But in fact, the relationship between the trainer, um, who is Timothy in this context, and the people he's going to train depends on a prior relationship that Timothy has with the Lord Jesus Christ. If Timothy is going to do what is impossible, which is 2 Timothy 2.2, then he's going to need to be in a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He needs to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus um, and he needs to do it uh, in a conscious and determined way. Um, and that means reflecting on the gospel, living the gospel, uh, meditating on the gospel, working the gospel into your life, uh, because that's what it means to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so mm -hmm. that is the, the first absolutely essential part, knowing the God of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then being convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ is not a local deity, but a cosmic Lord. Uh, mm. and, and that means that if you work that through to the end, if you work that theologically, uh, then you'll come to the point where Jesus can't be just the person you worship in your local church, but he must be worth worshipping all over the world. And he must be worth training people so that they can take that message to the ends of the earth. And that must be true now, but also in the future. And so the eternal cosmic nature of the Lordship of Jesus Christ it impinges on your mind in such a way that you can't think other than to train people to take this forward and further away. Uh, and so you, you want to be somebody who's been trained, who's training others, and you want those people that you train to be able to train others so that geographically and in time, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can reach out. And so that's the link between verses one and two as I see it. And so then after that, you work out ways contextually that you can actually put into practice this 4G ministry of uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. It's excellent. It's excellent. Um, what are some of the holes you see in the way we train church planters today? How, how can we do better? Well, I think that you'll you'll see those holes if you compare them with the kinds of best practices that you see, both in the Bible, but also around the world, as you look mm -hmm. uh, at what happens. Um, I remember very vividly being out in Ivory Coast. Uh, we've got some excellent stuff going on in Ivory Coast. Uh, I can't 
I, I think that it's not best to give you all the details here for security reasons. Uh, but there's ways that you can find out about that. So if you're if the listeners are interested in finding out what is going on in the Ivory Coast through Benjamin, um, they should drop us a line and we'll tell them all about it. It is really remarkable. Um, uh, it's so exciting. At any rate, I was out visiting him in the north of the Ivory Coast. He's reaching an unreached people group called the Jula, uh, and they are uh, essentially Muslim. There's essentially no churches in the Jula people group and very few converts. So I was watching him as he planted the church. And if you want to think about best practices, and if you then want to think about what we don't do well in our different contexts, this is what I would say. He was determined to put into practice four things, four key elements in terms of training the people that he was in uh, touch with. And that didn't matter whether they were already Christians, not yet Christians, or people he was training for leadership. And those four key elements, as I saw them, were proximity, intensity, regularity, and intentionality. Hmm. So he was always with the people that he was training. He wasn't remote. He wasn't doing it from an ivory tower. He was alongside. He was in amongst. He was getting to know them. They were seeing him live. They, he, he was seeing them live. They were in proximity. Uh, there was a great deal of uh, regularity. So it wasn't just one off. It was week in, week out. It was day in, day out. Now, his context in the rural Ivory Coast lent itself to that because he was essentially available in ways that perhaps in the West we aren't always. But this, the sense of regularity was really interesting to me because he was in proximity, because he was able to do it regularly. There was a sense in which the progress was visible week on week or even day on day. And the things that they were learning, uh, they were being tested on and, and asked on and, and put through their paces on um, in, a, in a really regular way. There was intentionality about it. So he was really clear what the next step was for each of these people. And so he was thinking to himself, what does this person need to learn in order to move to the next point? Uh, so so th those kinds of elements are, are really uh, key, I think, to the kinds of holes that we could have and some of the best practices that we can develop. Hmm. That's excellent. I think you see that, don't you, in, into Timothy, uh, with Paul and Timothy's life of the, um, you know, Paul took Timothy with him. There yeah. was that reg regularity. The way he calls him, his son, his child, is a yeah. you know a term of endearment. And he was he was able to say to Timothy all the way through, "You know my life. You know my practice. You know what I did. You know why I did it." In other words, when they were thinking through Paul's doctrine, they were looking at his doctrine through the lens of his practice. They weren't separating out Paul's church planting mission from Paul's church planting theology. And so, because they could see those two things in such clear relation, when when Paul is talking to Timothy. We should never forget that he's talking as a church planter to a church planter. Um, he's talking as a pastor to a pastor. But we shouldn't ever forget that Paul's drive and mission and ministry was to the end of planting churches, right to the very end of his life when he wanted to get to Spain to plant a church mm -hmm. there. And, and so Timothy was never thinking, Paul is talking to me as a pastor, but not as a church planter, as if church planters were a different kind of category. Uh, and so when Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, uh, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, Timothy would hear that in terms of mission, church planting, etc., etc. So mm -hmm. I just think that that's a, that's a really key facet of what's happening in that relationship that we have to read back into Timothy 2.2 in a very legitimate way. That's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about seminaries today, what, what are some weaknesses what, in, in that paradigm you've laid out, proximity, intensity, regularity, intentionality? Seminaries can do some things well, right, in training, but there's, there are going to be some gaps, and, and they know that. That's not a slam on seminaries, right? 
Yeah, um, for sure. How, how do you see this relationship between church and academy when it comes to training? Yeah. And again, that's something that we've been thinking through. If I go back to my experience of Bible college, it wasn't, wasn't a good experience in many ways. And so I'll not name the Bible college that I was at. Um, I think what was lacking was the clarity and intentionality of their goals. Um, and so because they were catering for many, many people, they didn't really have a tailor-made approach to me um, to train me to do what they thought that I ought to be doing in collaboration with my local church and, and so on and so forth. It was a, it was a kind of a, um, a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, and, and that is limiting to some degree. Uh, the, the other thing is that they they don't get to see people necessarily in their context putting into practice the things that they learn. Uh, and so they're very good at developing deep theology. They're very good at uh, presenting that, teaching that, uh, but they don't see people in their context putting it into practice or not necessarily. Um, and I think those are the kinds of things that I think we need to work out as churches. Uh, and it could be that there's a paradigm shift coming in terms of theological training where we're going to put together theory and practice in missional reform theology in a, in a better way. And I think that, I think I see that beginning to happen in places like Crosslands uh, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk to the listeners a little bit about that? Like what, what does that look like? Mm, so Crosslands is, is a, it's got a, a foundation level, uh, which is very good. Uh, it's the old Porterbrook material that you can still access, uh, I think, in the States. But it's also got a master's level. And in the master's level, it's really equipping key church leaders. But the way it does that is it has weeks of intensive learning where people come together in one location and really have the benefits of um, excellent or even world-leading scholars doing the teaching uh, and getting to to know other students in that context and really getting the benefits of everything that you would associate with uh, traditional Bible college. But then after that time, they're sent back into their church contexts where there's a real relationship of accountability with the local church leader. And they're expected to put into practice almost straight away, almost live, the things that they've just learned. And so that is a real combination of the things that I was talking about, proximity and regularity and intensity and intentionality. All those kinds of things are being put into practice in the local church. And at the same time, they're getting really high quality education. That's good. Now, Philip, as a guy who travels around, you've already hit on some of this, but would, um, you think about planting and uh, excuse me, and training uh, planters in hard places um, where perhaps resources are not as uh, accessible. Uh, can you talk about some of the challenges and and how how to do training? I mean, I'm thinking first of of pastors in some really rough places, hard places, even dangerous places. Mm-hmm. How do they do training? And then I'm also thinking of uh, another category of uh, guys who may travel to hard places to do, you know, a week of training with pastors. Um, but there's often um, uh, a lack of awareness that how we're training them doesn't always connect. And there there are some gaps. Uh, just so the challenges of, of training uh, in places where people don't have access to great books, where they may have a terrible internet even, uh, and where it may not even be safe to, to assemble. Um, how do we think through some of that? Yeah, well, I think the stuff that's going on in church and hard places in Acts 29 is exemplary in this respect. So we've got people who are thinking through what it is that people need to know and how it is we can chop that up and deliver it over a period of time so that the the skills, the competencies, the knowledge, uh, the character, that can be built in over time. So we're not rushing to get somebody from where they are to where they need to be to plant a church. We know that it takes time. We know that in certain contexts, it'll take more time. 
And so at the minute, the Church in the Hard Places cohorts go through two years of regular and consistent coaching and training with a reading program, with writing exercises that are adapted to their culture and context that take them through the essential building blocks of planting a church. Uh, and they're in cohorts, so they get to know each other well. Uh, they're visited by the leaders of churches in hard places. They are uh, walked through by coaches who are experienced and, and well-equipped to do that. And then they gather uh, two times in that time uh, in order to be uh, encouraged and equipped even further. And so breaking it down and walking people through it uh, remotely uh, seems to be uh, very effective in terms of the church in hard places experiences. And that's been working in all kinds of contexts. So it's been working in different languages. It's been different, working across different continents. It's been working in different um, uh, ways across the world. And so I think what we're doing there is developing something that would be highly effective in training people in those contexts. And so what I would say to people who are in that kind of context uh, and who want to start training their people to plant churches further afield would be to, well, first believe that God has put into your local church people that he wants to train to carry the mission on. Um, so believe that you can actually put into practice 2 Timothy 2 too, and that there's not a single church in the world, in my opinion, where that isn't the case. Um, so you've got to believe that. You've got to believe that the people that God is beginning to gather in your local church has in it some people who will be capable of taking the mission further. So having believed that, then you're going about intentionally looking for those people and inviting those people into that space where they could become those people who would take the mission uh, further. And having identified those people, then plugging them into something like the Church in Hard Places program, inviting the Church in Hard Places people to come and do a roadshow uh, to cast the vision and to invite you in to that. Uh, we're going to do one in March in France, in Strasbourg, uh, and I'm really excited about that. It's It's got the potential to to move the mission in France on a, a good bit as we think that through. That's excellent. So let's say um, we have a, a pastor listening to this podcast. Uh, first of all, thanks for listening, Pastor. Um, and uh, he's he's very much involved in two Timothy four two preaching the word, but not as involved in two Timothy two two uh, in in investing in others. Uh, believes he should do it. Uh, has perhaps just been uh, swamped with other responsibilities in the church, etc. Uh, how would you encourage him? And what uh, in what direction would you point him? Uh, what is it that we want to impart to those that we're teaching? Uh, what would be a, perhaps a weekly rhythm? What would it look like for uh, the busy pastor who is doing a lot of really important and essential work to incorporate this into his, uh, his, his weekly ministry? So it'll, I think it'll vary different, in different contexts and in different places. Let me just give my example back from St. Debs, what, what Vaughn Roberts did with me and, and yeah, give great. that as an example. Um, and it's something that I've been trying to put into practice myself uh, with greater or lesser success, depending on the on the times and seasons. But essentially, it's casting a vision for ministry that is joyful and positive and feels worthwhile. Um, because in certain contexts, you're going to have in your church many people who could choose between a n number of different careers. Um, you're looking for people who have got some kind of capacity to learn, some kind of capacity to speak in public, some kind of capacity to lead other people. Those are the kind of people that might actually end up uh, in different walks of life, different areas of expertise. And what you want to do is you want to cast a vision about the gospel, about mission, about ministry uh, that is appealing to those kinds of people. It's not to say that we don't need people in all walks of life. We do. But we also need some of those people to opt in to ministry in a really intentional way because they see the value of it. And so the first thing I would say to the busy pastor is uh, communicate joy 
in Christ, communicate joy in ministry, communicate the worthwhile and the, the, the fact that it's worth giving your life to this. I think part of Paul's effectiveness was that when he went round, people could see that he believed it. People could see that he was giving his whole life. People could see that this was the thing that mattered the most in the world for him. And so when he said things like, for me to live is Christ and to die as gain, people believed it because they could see him in prison uh, suffering for the gospel. Uh, so give this this vision of joy and purpose in serving Christ uh, as a church pastor or as a church planter. And then having cast that vision and having worked hard at making sure that that's where your heart is and that's the kind of things you're communicating. Um, don't be grumbling about ministry. Don't be saying how tired you are and how hard you're working and all those kinds of things as if it isn't a huge privilege to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, so, so having cast that vision and being that kind of joyful pastor, then uh, look around your church and see who it is that would be wanting to do that kind of thing. Uh, and then invite them into your life. Uh, invite them to eat in your home. Invite them to be with you. Um, read the Bible with them. Get alongside them. Open the Bible. Show them how you read the Bible and invite them to read the Bible with you in that kind of way. So Vaughn, uh, when he started mentoring me, read 1 Peter with me. And so Vaughn and I would just meet together for an hour every week and we would open the Bible and he would ask me questions in 1 Peter and I would try to answer as best I could. And he would correct my theology and my exegesis and my different uh, bits and pieces. And it would really be formative, but it would also be building a friendship uh, together as, as we did that. And so read the Bible with the people that you're doing this with. Let them see how you respect and love the word of God and how it changes your life. And then take them with you as you do different things uh, as appropriate. Let them show you how you visit people. Let them show how you see how you pray with people. Um, invite them into your prayer life. Um, anyway, just let them see what it is like for you to do it. Uh, again, we're back to those same things, regularity and proximity and intensity and intentionality. Those kinds of mm -hmm. things really make a difference. And, and so open yourself up to it uh, and then pray that God will indeed uh, raise up those new leaders so that you can train them and send them out. Yeah, so what, what I'm hearing here is that you don't need this robust program that's requiring hours and hours and hours of, of work and preparation, but rather an hour around First Peter, inviting them into your home, taking them perhaps on a trip or wherever. Uh, it's nothing that is going to require a whole lot more additional work as much as it is inviting them into the stuff you're already doing, right? Um, and just I, I think with I think that's right. Yeah, and, and then also, um, you know, on top of that, what you'll do as you get to know them is you'll be able to see the kinds of things that they need to read. Now, I think every pastor has this um, in the back of their minds. So somebody who doesn't yet know the Bible storyline, uh, what book would you give somebody to get them to get the art of the narrative of, of Scripture? Um, somebody who hasn't yet got to grips with um, what Scripture is, what book would you give them to talk to them about the narrative of Scripture and how Scripture is used? Um, to both uh, bring people to faith and to bring people on in the faith. Uh, what is the church? You know, you'd have books that you would have in mind that you want to give people in order yeah. to, to give them a theology. But once again, that is not huge amounts of uh, extra work for you. It's it's things that you have to hand that you give out to people and that you say, read that, tell mm -hmm. me what you think. Yeah. Maybe maybe even write a short paper on it. Um, I know Reuben Hunter in London uh, has a system whereby he gives his uh, interns uh, books to read and papers to write. Um, and he meets up with them and talks it through. Now, as your church grows, I can imagine this would be the case in the States and you have more and more people doing this kind of internship with you. You might want to organise and structure it. Um, but most churches in the States are actually under 100 people big. And so for that kind of pastor, uh, this this kind of informal but very intentional 
sense of, of training people and forming people um, through life on life uh, leadership formation as I think the, the starting place. I loved your the, your opening point there on uh, the joyful pastor. Um, what like what can you do to impact future generations? Like enjoy the ministry yourself, <laughs> right? For and sure. to give them a compelling vision of it. And it yeah. reminded me of, of William Perkins, who um, in his book, uh, The Art of Prophesying, if you order it today, it also comes along uh, with this other little book called The Calling of the Ministry. And in uh, Perkins is lamenting what he called uh, the scarcity of true ministers. Uh, and he said that good ministers were like one in a thousand. Uh, and so he, uh, in this book, is encouraging uh, Christians to realize the importance of uh, good schools and seminaries. But then he said something really striking, and I, I pulled it up when you were talking. Uh, he put the burden on pastors that the scarcity of true ministers uh, is due to the lack of pastoral investment. And he said this, let each minister, both in his teaching and his life work, uh, work in such a way that he honors his calling so that he may attract others to share his love for it. Um, that's great, isn't it? That's a, that's a very yes. simple, condensed way of saying what I was trying to say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Just in your teaching and in your life, work in such a way that you honor your calling and you attract others to ministry. And yeah. I think that's a great question for all of us who are pastors. Like, are we are we teaching and working in such a way that people would want to be in the ministry? That's uh, right. And uh, that's that's a great challenge for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that is gets at the character of the pastor, not so much, you know, right, his, uh, his intellectual capacity or his yeah. ability to write books or whatever. I mean, this is, yeah. the, this is a character aspect. Yeah. Uh, and so let's not settle for mediocrity or just run-of-the-mill attitude and disposition and work ethic, but, like, let's be zealous and joyful yeah. and see that others may follow behind us. For sure, because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, right in the middle of the place where he's going to talk about the hardship of ministry. He says, by the grace of God, we have this ministry. Paul never thought of his ministry as a burden, first and foremost, but as a gracious gift that God had given him and a privilege that he had, that he couldn't believe that he had. And it was a grace. Everything was a grace. Everything was a gift. And so when Paul went around uh, doing the ministry, it's no wonder that he had a following of people that used to leave their homes and their jobs and follow him because it, it was obvious that he loved it. It was obvious that he thought it was worth it. And it was obvious that uh, it was powerfully used by God. Hmm. Amen. Philip, last question. Uh, this has been so helpful. But anything you want to uh, talk about with regard to training in Acts 29 specifically? Like, um, I'm sure there are many things in the works that you can't talk about. But maybe just give the listeners a taste of what you're excited about uh, in the uh, coming years uh, by God's grace. Yeah, so I mean, I, there's there are things that I would would love to be able to talk about, but I can't. Um, but some of the things that I, I can say is just referring back to Paris, uh, we had uh, a great time with people, and I'll just give the list so people are aware of it. From Colombia, uh, where there's a very exciting thing going on with Barranquilla, uh, we had people from the states, so both US West, uh, where the Equip program is really really useful for training people. Where Grimpiki is being launched, um, you know all about Grimpiki, and I don't have to say anything more about that. I think there's been a podcast on it. We had people as well from Canada. They've got context training there, uh, and it's it's really exciting what's going on in Canada. These are all Acts 29 initiatives that are being shaped into Acts 29 academies, um, and I, that, that's going to have a definition that's going to be quite robust. Then if you move across the Atlantic, we had Crosslands being represented there. Um, we had a theologian uh, who's part of the faculty at Crosslands, Dan Strange, 
who was there. Um, it was excellent to have his input. Um, we had Southern Africa represented through BAT, and the, 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 it was really exciting to start to imagine what it would look like to have theology being created um, from Bible truth in this diverse global family that we're becoming. We had the Middle East that was represented through the Gulf Training School. Um, we had Australia represented there. It was just astonishingly diverse and rich and healthy to see all these people gathered around with the determination to train people for ministry along, along the lines of the things that we think are important. Theological clarity, cultural engagement, and missional innovation. It was just super exciting. And I say just watch this space. I think there'll be more announcements to come. Amen. Amen. Philip, thanks so much for taking time to be on the podcast. Thank you, Tony. Uh, always a pleasure.